At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Pastor and Amy, church staff, Mr. Mayor, Don and Vic, beloved family, church family. I cannot tell my story without being you being part of it. So thank you so much for this opportunity. There were huge crowds that day. There hadn't been all along, but there were that day. The miracles had done their work. Rumors spread all the way through Galilee of a young prophet who had risen. He truly was of God. Nicodemus said it this way, No one can do these signs that you do unless God be with him. Before we hear the words of Christ later, I hope you'll remind yourself, he is of God. This voice comes directly from heaven to us. But miracles are not the only work of Christ. They're not even his main work. Teaching is... So seeing the crowds and knowing that it was time, Jesus sat down on a high hill just outside of a Capernaum and he preached his first sermon. We stand? Let's read his words together. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before me. Thank you. Please be seated. Surprise! It's what we shout at a birthday party or a retirement. The honored guest finally arrives, and we all jump out from behind kitchen counters and hallway doors. It's a happy thing, made more happy because it's unexpected. I don't think Jesus shouted surprise that day, but he may as well have. Nothing that he said was like anything they had ever heard before. Nothing that he said summarized the Old Testament and gave it its application the way he did it. The words were familiar, but the application and direction were just absolutely brand new, completely unexpected. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, says God in Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. So when God's word comes, truly his word, there will always be an element of surprise in it. There will always be something that you didn't expect, different, higher, deeper, more real. Over the years I've experienced this, have you? Um, I go to God in prayer and I have what I think I think and I have what I think we need. And then over here on the side, just in the margins of my mind, um, comes a, a, a different word, a still, small voice. Not at all what I wanted to talk to him about, not at all what I thought needed to be fixed. But over here comes the unexpected, surprising word of God. And to the extent that I will listen, that I will lay down my agenda and go listen to his, to the extent that I will be like Moses, I think I'm going to go see why that bush isn't burning up. I, I have the ability to lose my agenda and go figure something new out. I find grace. Man doesn't live by bread alone, said Jesus. If you cannot hear God, you cannot walk with him. But just this warning, it won't always be what you thought it would be. God has a people, and he's very happy with that plan. Uh, that's what they were surprised to hear Jesus say that day, I think. They were surprised how happy Jesus was. Uh, maybe happy is the wrong word. Positive, confident, hopeful. They were living in one of the most miserable moments in the, to ever be a Jew. Uh, there have been many of them, but they were living in one. They'd been conquered by Rome 60 years before, oppressive taxes, daily threat of violence, and a deadness in their religion you could almost feel. It was so palpable, the deadness of that religion. And it, it left most of the people in, Jewish's, in Jesus' day either angry or depressed. You recognize that moment? Everybody's either angry or depressed. But not this man. Uh, not this man. Here comes a young man who breathed optimism and confidence at the work of God in the world that he made. As Jesus preached that day, he talked about a particular group of people. Kingdom, he called them. Kingdom. People who belong to the king. People who answer to the king. People who call Jesus king. Those people, Jesus said, are blessed by God. They are they belong to God. They have bowed to God. And now he is pouring into their, their lives daily. He, uh, in the world, there are two kinds of people. The normal folks and then those who've come into a relationship with God through faith. And into those lives, God pours special attention and care. It's not a group that includes everyone. It is a narrow road and few find it. It's not identical with church membership or even sincerity or Bible study. It's not. The Bible says the Lord knows who are his. He knows which ones belong to him. Uh, and those who know scripture will recognize this kind of talk. Jesus is preaching his first sermon. He begins to talk about a particular group mixed into the world like wheat among tares. And he says... Um, 
God is with them. Well, that's what the Bible says about Joseph in Genesis 39. And God was with him. That's what it says about David in 1 Samuel 18. God was with him. Uh, Not in a normal way, an absolutely supernatural way. God cared, was involved, protected and guided and supplied and nurtured that man. If God loves the world, and he does, if he offers friendship to all through faith, and he does, if not all come to him, and they don't, then God is pleased to save some. He is pleased to save some, and he is thrilled with this plan. No apology is offered for the plan. No sense of failure is registered. If a thousand people don't come and one sinner repents, the Bible says the angels erupt in joy. There is at the center of the universe, everybody, this very glad, successful, powerful, sovereign God. He is at work in our world and he's not sorry and he's not afraid and he's not wringing his hands saying, what what are we going to do? And so the first day Jesus ever preached, he said, there are people in this world that are blessed. They're blessed. Uh, Does it surprise you, dear one, to hear again this sovereign, strong, successful God at work in the world? Would you like to be his? Would you like to be his? Belonging to him and knowing his kindness and hearing his word and walking all of your days with him. They were surprised how happy Jesus was. And I think that day they were surprised uh, how hard the path sounded that God would take his people on. Almost immediately the incongruity was obvious. On one hand, Jesus described people who were blessed. They're blessed. They're blessed. And then on the other hand, he begins to say that they are poor and they're hungry and they're persecuted and sad. If you follow Christ, he will enroll you in a school. He will disciple you just as he did those first 12. He will reshape you psychologically and spiritually. Some people say, if you are poor in heart, then you are blessed, as if the second part of that sentence is the cause of the first. It's closer to the mind of Christ to say, if you are poor in spirit, it's because you've been blessed. God's working... Check. Mic check. Mic check. (laughs) If you are poor in spirit, it's because... God is leading you on that path of training your heart. And the first lesson is that you will be poor in spirit. People learning is proof of God's blessing. Now, we measure it a thousand other ways. We would, res- we would say blessings are money or fame or pleasure or power or whatever you want to call. Not Jesus. He would say, you want to know who are blessed people? People that God's at work in their lives are the ones that are on this journey of him shaping your inner man to become conformed to his image. Bill Wilson of AA fame had 12 steps. Jesus has eight. 
The Beatitudes are steps that you take, lessons to learn as the Holy Spirit fills your life and takes you on a new path. So you stop having only a natural life. It is now your natural life plus the Spirit of God and that becomes a supernatural life. There is a difference there. And as he carries you down this list, he changes your heart. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, says verse 3. Um, when God is with you, when his spirit fills you, he will bring you to a place where you know you cannot do life on your own anymore. You just don't have the resources. You need somebody's help. And specifically, you need God's help. You have become poor in your spirit. I need thee every hour, the old saints used to sing. Patokos is, you can look at these, your listening sheet if you like. Patokos is the Greek word, and it meant to crouch or beg. What a breakthrough, what a blessing when a proud, self-sufficient, I'm going to do it my way kind of person through a different course, all of us come in a different way, we get to the moment where we say, that's not going to work for me. I'm not going to be able to do life that way anymore. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to ask God for help. And so Jesus said, if you get to that place, it's because God's blessed you. He's helped you learn that first lesson. And blessed are those who mourn, says verse 4. The human tendency is to cover our mistakes and our sins and not be honest about the things that we have done or the things that others have done to us that have broken our hearts. We try to just get over it and get past it and forget about it. The wisdom of God is different. And when the Spirit fills your life, He will help you look back honestly at your own mistakes, those of others, and you'll feel the pain, feel the pain of it. Second Corinthians 7 says, There is a sorrow that leads to repentance without regret. There is a kind of weeping that finally says, I'm getting close to the real issue here. I can weep about my own stubbornness or my own need to be in charge or my pride or my dishonesty. When you get there, everyone, it's the Spirit of God helping you. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to help you see that the other side of that kind of mourning can be health again. As Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and he did, shouldn't we? As Jeremiah wept over Jerusalem, and he did, shouldn't we? Uh, who's weeping these days? Everybody's going to some party. Everybody's checking TikTok or posting on Facebook. Who weeps at where our nation has gone? Who weeps? As Peter went out and wept bitterly over his own denial, sometimes the real grace of God is to see how clearly, your, how dark your heart has been. How determined to make it about you. How determined to stay in charge. Mourning is not a bad thing, not if it's about sin. The Puritans used to have uh, weeping benches. Because they understood that part of the process of growing in sanctification is just being sorry 
Um, everybody, how can you be sorry? How can we be, tell God we're sorry if we never really are? Nobody ever is sorry. We, we defend ourselves. We say, I had every right to, she hit me first, or whatever you say. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Here's the blessed people. The Spirit of God begins to urge you to open that up. Let it open. Honestly, honest. Here's the good thing about being mourning. If you start mourning, you can stop blaming other people for your problems. If you can mourn, then it stops being about what they did to me. It's... It's a gift. And blessed are the gentle, verse 5, the Greek word is proutes. It's a saddle broke horse. You throw a saddle over him and he kicks and he bites and he twirls and he rears until he just gets too tired. He's just too tired. And so out of weariness, he begins to learn a life of obedience. Um, been there, anybody? You been there? Yes. Those who stop fighting, who say to God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I will do it your way now. By the way, anybody in here, have you ever noticed about even when you know God's will, there's a part of you that doesn't want to do it? Gosh, so I feel so much better. I thought I was the only one. Even when I know what he's saying to me, there's a part of me that still plays that card that I don't have to and I don't like anybody else being in charge until in the goodness of God you just get so weary. You just get so weary and say, if you'll help me, I'll do it your way. And we will not touch all these words today, but I don't want to skip verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus uses hunger as an allegory for desire. As God shapes your soul, he will bring you to a place where all you want is him and to be right with him. Like the pearl of great price that Jesus talked about, you will sell anything if you can have that. I just want you is what you will say to him and it will be his work in your heart. Bernard of Clairvaux said there are four degrees of love and we'll all have to march upward. Hopefully we will. You, love of self for self's sake. Love of God for self's sake. That's stage two. And it's still all about you. Third, love of God for God's sake. And fourth, love of self for God's sake. And you never get to three and four without the Spirit of God. Nobody ever moves into those ranges of maturity without him prodding you and teaching you a different way to go. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Even after following Christ, there's still part of me that will resist every one of these lessons. All these steps are hard steps to take. They are heartbreaking. And he will risk your ruin to get you here. Let's be real. He will not, you belong to him, and he will risk your ruin. He will break your heart to get you to these places. And so um, none of this is easy. So as Jesus began to talk that day, he talked about a people God owns and loves and he's so happy with that plan and then he began to talk about a hard path 
that if you walk, he gradually would shape you like a potter's clay. And you have to want it, and you have to work for it. He will not do it all for you. He will call you to it. He will teach you. You do not earn salvation, everybody, but you learn salvation. And you have to get on down that road if you belong to him. And they were surprised that day. This is the third of that there will be a home, a place of rest. Someday we will all sit at a table and drink this wine again, Jesus told the disciples. Someday, everybody, we'll be together again. In my Father's house are many mansions, said Jesus to them on that same night. Of the eight Beatitudes, only two are imagined in the present. Uh, there's is the kingdom of heaven, verse 3. There's is the kingdom of heaven, verse 10. But all of the others, all of the others are intentionally shaped as future rewards. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit. They, it, he, he intentionally says that most of what we are doing here today will only find its full fruition and reward when we get home. Uh, he is, without any question, positing two worlds. He's telling about life after death. He is saying, this is the message of the cross before we even get to the cross and the resurrection. He is telling us, if you spend all of your energy on this life, you are most to be pitied because the larger part of life is after this. The larger part comes later to in a future home. Anyone been to Paladar Canyon, seen the musical Texas? None of y'all are from Amarillo. <laughs> Thank you. Remember the scene where this, in a time of great hardship, this beautiful soprano voice begins to sing. There's a land that is fairer than day And by faith we can see it afar For our Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. There are a lot of people who don't think that there is life after death or it's worth your life. But Jesus won one of them. Jesus was saying to you, the most valuable thing about you is nothing you can see yet. And if you will vest your life, you will come to a place where he will reward you. I worried about this week, weekend. I was anxious that my memory dawned that I would miss some things that I needed to say thank you to you. I was afraid that I would not remember everything that I needed to say. No need for that because the day will come where the Father will open a book and he will remember every detail. 
And not just for Don, but for everyone who's loved him. He doesn't forget anything. Everybody, if you want everything now, you can't follow Jesus. Because that is not the way he plays this game. If you want it all now, you cannot follow him. Because he's going to vest you in a future world. And then the sermon was over. They all are eventually. Like us, the people that day were left with a question. What do I do with that? What do I do with what I just heard straight from heaven? What do I do with this? First answer from Scripture is you receive. You, you open your heart. You intentionally take in this word. Even if it's different than what you thought, you take it in as true and reliable. The other way to talk about that is to continue. Jesus said, we read it earlier, if you continue in my words, that means you take these things home and you chew on them until you do understand them. Nobody can get all this in a 30-minute sermon or 30 years of living. The brilliant mind of Christ was challenging the whole human race with its path forward. So take it home and work on it and work on it. This is a process. It's called sanctification. And sanctification is as much a part of salvation as justification is. It is part of his plan to draw you forward. Uh, John Broadus, the great Baptist preacher, used to say, where there's no summons, there's no sermon. And so the truth is, you ought to feel a little discomforted. You ought to feel pushed a little bit. You ought to feel pulled or called or lifted or like, there's, like you have some obligation to go stand over there rather than standing where to change your location rather than his. If you don't feel that, it's probably not the Lord you're hearing. The opposite of that is to harden your heart. Go with the culture. Chase after that culture. It, that's working for us. Chase them down. Go after their approval. Let them tell you what's important and how you should look and how you should spend your money and how you should find your way through life. Let them tell you. Harden your heart up against what is the most profound idea the human race ever heard, that there is a God and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is worth your time to know this God. When God sent his son into the world... He was not trying to surprise you. He was offering to save you. And he does that most often through his word. And pretty often that comes from a pastor in a sermon. Jesus used to say, now if you have ears, hear, do it, choose. It's, a, it's a cho an active choice. If you can hear what Jesus is saying today, then get started. Let's pray together. For you to come and not be discouraged, for you to have a plan that is working its way out in a world as dark as this one, for you to be willing to come and be our model for us, our guide, take on humanity and then 
from that humanity teaches the way that all humans must go, all humans. Um, how we thank you. Give strength and power to your word by your spirit. Call men to yourself and women to sanctified lives and holy lives. Let us shine like lights in the dark world. Jesus, what a preacher you are, and we greet you this morning in your name.